0: Hello, hello, hello! I'm your hostess with the mostess, Michael Munoz, and welcome to In Yo Mouth. Oh. In Yo mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good. Show oh, you how to. Oh hurry. God, that's good. I wanna know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In your got <laughs> the goosebumps. Hey there, and welcome back, folks! Once again, I'm your hostess with the most, this Munoz. And how are we doing, people? How are we doing? How are we doing? Oh my goodness! If this wasn't a time for Gloria Gainers, I will survive. I don't know when would it be. I mean, wow, y'all! Wow! So much has been happening in the past couple weeks, uh, and not disincluding or unincluding or. Discounting that's the word I'm looking for. The coronavirus. I mean, I was trying to keep track for y'all how many weeks we've been in, but does it even matter anymore at this point? Does it even matter? Well, New York City is open phase one, right people are people are back to work and things are moving, so I mean, hopefully this is a good sign of of I don't know something good coming our way. I feel like we need something good. Um, And speaking of good things, I really want to thank you all out there uh, who reached out to me with your kind words about last week's episode. I was feeling a certain sort of way and I was thinking to myself, well, if I'm feeling this way, other people have to be feeling this way as well. Just having all the feelings, all the emotions, all the things. And my intent was You know, to help people process, just to help people process and facilitate, which is really the most important part here, facilitate hard conversations. We must begin to facilitate and start having these difficult discussions with each other, with our friends, with our family. And you know what? Some are going to go well and some are not going to go well, much like Vanessa said. Uh, last week, and I am just so appreciative of Vanessa Lenny and Michael, who joined me on last week's table talk and If you reached out to me um just you know expressing feelings or thanking me or anything in between, I want to thank you too my intent was to help, so hopefully there'll be a little bit more of that coming up you know i I think we need it every now and again, and I think it was. It was healing for all of us. Um, we said it on the pod, and hopefully, you know, it had the same effect for you. So, thank you once again. So, in thinking about how I'm going to move forward with this podcast, you know, it's it's a little hard just to just to post these days. You know, um, a lot of you out there and who've been listening for a long time know that I live in the middle of New York City. I live in a tiny, tiny, tiny Times Square apartment. I live in 120 square feet of Times Square glory that I'm ever so grateful for. But while most of the world is watching the news, I am living it out my window every time I leave my door. Um, And so that has really taken a different kind of toll on me and my spirit. And and posting and things like posting and podcasting and you know it just it just doesn't feel right it just doesn't make sense to me it just it's like what what's it all for in the end what is it all for and i often have spoken during um this quarantine as well about finding your joy through this quarantine and how exactly do we do that and things that were bringing me joy much like mark kinemora you know who's who's also taken a big break from the dancing right because it just didn't feel right and it's like how do we how do we allow ourselves to process and navigate everything that's happening you know and a lot of like bad news it's just not good news that we're watching these days. None of it's good. You know? Um, And how do we allow ourselves to process it, navigate it, and then somehow find joy through it? And I was having a couple conversations with people, one being Michael Bragg, who was on last week's podcast, and he goes, you know what's really um, special about these protests and and everything, you know, the things that the news aren't showing are the things you're seeing online. It's the protest in New Jersey that that was dancing and and almost like divulged into um, a party. And he told me in Oakland, California, a lot of that is happening as well. Um, That, like, these peaceful protests when the police don't show up in riot gear and they're not, like, this excessive, like, presence and force of, like, you know, stand back. Um, These people, through the pain, through the pain of watching their own being murdered on television and having that replayed and replayed and replayed on the daily a thousand times a day are still somehow finding joyous moments in these protests. And I was like, I I, I found that to be just really, really interesting and like uh, a testament to to the people. To the people and the movement. That there is joy through pain. And there is, although um, the death of George Floyd, um, there's nothing joyous about that. But the impact the worldwide impact and of course his family would um much rather have him here and alive and with them and my heart goes out to them on a daily basis um but if you're if we're thinking about great things that have come out of this one horrible moment this global impact of like berlin and their streets being full worldwide this has touched corner to corner of that flat surface that people think we still live on. (laughs) And so um, in that, um, I was was thinking just like allowing ourselves, because this is not a problem that's going away. This is not a problem that's going away anytime soon. It's not going to be fixed overnight, right? It's going to take many more conversations on this pod and away from this pod. It's going to take a lot more action, a lot more protesting. You know, I was part of a protest yesterday, and I, lo- I love a good protest chant. I really do. It feeds my soul and a uh, uh, hey, hey, a uh, ho, ho. That really gets me going. You know what? If we're going to be marching through the streets, give me something to march, to, Like, something something good, right? Something to get down to and keep us motivated us, and joyous and um, during that chant, I started to move and and you know be uplifting, and then the, it kind of domino affected out in like you know um, consensual circles, not consen- concentric circles. There, there we go. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for uh, to the people around me, and like everyone was kind of getting down with the chant, and and it was great. You know, like we were there for the movement, but it's it was peaceful and it was. We have a message to send, you know? So that's that's kind of where I'm going with this. And in these meditative times and times that we are taking for ourselves um, all across the board, no matter what your background is, to be quiet and reflect and meditate on what our next step is, we have to remember to find moments of joy and what brings us joy, you know? Um, I'm always... I'm always someone who tries to find, you know, joyous moments in everything and anything. Um it's a testament to my spirit. I just it 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 hurts me not to be smiling and laughing and and, and although once again this is not like the, the serious matter of a pr- police brutality and systematic racism is nothing there's nothing funny in that. But Taking time for yourself to feed your spirit and feed feed yourself joyful moments, I think, is very very important, especially during this time, and um just associating it associating it to me myself and I, especially for me, in just being this like vacuum of never being able to break away from a news cycle because the news cycle is live outside my windows. And every time I turn on the internet and every time I turn on, you know, the television. So something that brings me joy is this podcast. And this is how I... You know, picked myself up and I was like, you know what? This this has been joyous for you. This this brings you a lot of joy. This new direction the podcast is going in is definitely joyous. And so we're going to celebrate today. We're going to celebrate people. We're going to celebrate you know black chefs that have paved the way for us. Um, you know, we're gonna we're just gonna take a moment to step back and celebrate joyous things today, and maybe for a little bit. Um, in the future as well, just continuing on, because uh, because we need it. We need to take those moments for ourselves to feed our souls and to and to find things that make us happy through the pain. And so, with that, I want to wish you all Happy National Ice Tea Day! Yeah, <laughs> it is National Ice. Tea day, y'all. Um, I love me a good sweet tea for a while. I was drinking that uh McDonald's dollar sweet tea that came in that huge what it was, what was it, 48 ounce cup? It was basically just drinking sugar water. It was so sweet. Used to love that. I used to love that. And then I fell down a hole of like, where did iced tea come from? Because I was like, you know, out there, I'm sure. A lot of you have realized that a lot of the cuisine uh, that we call American is actually culturally appropriated from, um, you know, the slaves that have been brought over and other other people that were enslaved here. Way back when, and so on and so forth. So I was like, oh, let me fall down this iced tea hole and see where, if there's some like beautiful moment where iced tea came from. And there isn't. But I found out that iced tea dates back to like 18, like the first mention is in 1839. This cookbook called The Kentucky Housewife by Mrs. Lettice Bryanen. So um and the typical tea recipe it was tea cocktails made with green tea. Why don't we do that anymore? Can I get a green tea cocktail that sounds delicious. Delicious. No? Anybody with me? Nobody with me? I don't know. I'm here for all of it. I couldn't I there's a lot of more nonsensical history about iced tea and a bunch of people that I have no idea who they are, um, so I'm not going to bore you with that, but I I found that really interesting. 1839 and then um, even a little further back in 1803 when uh, the ice box, aka the refrigerator, became popular um, to keep things cold like iced tea, the invention of ice and, and whatnot. So, Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, guys. <laughs> I wonder what. Like, I often wonder what y'all are thinking out there when I'm like giving you like random historical facts about things like iced tea. You know what? If you're ever in a trivia game, though, you can say I learned that here, honey. That's right. Um, I wanted to celebrate, um, instead of a little bit of this day in gay history, I want to celebrate um, this day in uh, black history, especially um, the history of amazing black chefs. And I fell down another little bit of a hole about um, historically black chefs and Up came this NBC News article about James and Peter Hemmings, which were America's first black celebrity chefs. So, Peter Hemmings was 24 years old when his brother James taught him how to cook in the French style while he learned uh, that he learned while serving uh, Jefferson in Paris. Yes, isn't that interesting? And the story is full of tea, honey hot tea, not iced. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I needed to wet my whistle for this one. Hold on. Mm. Yes. So um, this article, which I love, starts with, um, each time you eat a handful of french fries, say thank you to James Hemings, And if you wash them down with a cold beer, say a toast to his younger brother, Peter. So they were born into slavery before the Revolutionary War. Um, These brothers whose sister, Sally Hemings, some of you who are big in history, I was a really bad history student, and it wasn't until I went through an education program to get, uh, yes, y'all, she's got a degree in education. Um, So, But it wasn't until I went through this education program and figured out that, I learn by, um, by touching and doing, as opposed to mm-hmm, touching and doing, uh, as opposed to lecture style. Like I don't really process that, and that's why I wasn't a very good history student. But for those of you who are big history buffs, Sally Hemings was Thomas Jefferson's enslaved mistress. Now, process that shit for a minute. His enslaved mistress, um, and just falling down that hole in itself is really complicated because there was like an entire separate family that he had. And so um, at the end of the 18th century, these two young brothers were the nation's preeminent chefs with Peter going on to become the country's first master brewer. Yes, uh, Peter and James Hemmings. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, Peter Hemmings was 24 years old, like I said, when when his older brother... James taught him how to cook in the French style while he, that he learned while serving Jefferson in Paris. Um, it was part of this deal that James Hemmings uh, nego- negotiated with Jefferson. If he taught someone else how to cook, he would be freed. And that someone would, was his brother Peter. What? Process? That? Oh my god. Like, Uh, Later on in the article, it says that this is like the ultimate story of love and sacrifice. And, oh, boy, is it. Boy, is it. So, Jefferson was appointed United States Minister to France in 1784. And James Hemmings, as his cook, learned the art of French cooking there as a teenager and brought those skills back to America with him. Hello, Julia, child who? <laughs> so it became the found uh it became the foundation for a combined art in Virginia. He was known more for his French cookery, but those cooks who followed him, Edith Hearn Fawcett and Fanny Gillette Hearn, perfected it. But James was the one who started it. And it's it's insane because james hemmings is a, a pivotal figure because he's one of the earliest examples of an american chef given classical french training and then fusing that with the dishes of virginia so and this is a quote from adrian miller a culinary historian and author of Soul Food, The Surprising Story of an American Cuisine, One Plate at a Time. So this is interesting because the Heming brothers are important, Miller said, because they show African-American contributions to American cuisine that's counter to the typical narrative you often heard about black cooks before the 20th century, that black people were natural cooks. So what that did was... Uh, took away some of the dimensions of professional training and how they were dedicated to a craft. Isn't that crazy? Yes, 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 Black Chefs of America. Oh, I love it. So there is our roots. It just goes to show you that America's roots are, are so diverse and so varied and fucked up. If I do say so myself, but um, in a little bit of an amazing way of how like it all kind of came together, and these people, these people once again finding joy through, through, through the misery, and something they were impassioned about, and and this was amazing, and I love this story, and I I highly suggest you go out there and find this NBC news article. When was this published? Oh, this was published uh, recently, February 13th, 2020, by Nick Charles. Thanks, Nick Charles, for this. This brought me joy today for sure. Did you all hear? Um, oh, my God. So we're going to move on a little right now to, you know, more food news update. I'm going to bring you more joyous news or, like I like to call it, a little bit of the gossip grill. Yes, the gossip grill, honey, the Gossip Grill. I, I found out that the Gossip Grill is a lesbian bar. Um, wait, where is it? I'm looking it up. Gossip Grill. Gossip Grill. Oh, it's Southern California's women's bar. So shout out to you. I'm not trying to steal your shit, but it's good. And I'm using it. <laughs> oh, before I forget, uh, I started um, a series, a live uh. A live um, streaming series on the Get Vocal platform. That's get, G E T V as in Victor O K L dot com. And it's kind of an extension to the podcast. It's called The Gossip Grill. We're going to Kiki. You're going to see me live. I'm going to tell you all about the Kardashians and what they're cooking. I'll have, you know, chefs cooking with me while we spill the tea on what. On what's Going On, catch that Tuesday nights at 7.30, yes, 7.30, on GetVocal.com. And I think it also transfers to Facebook Live and um, Twitter Live. I didn't even know Twitter did live. So, on to other good news, folks. Shall we hit? The, shall we turn all, up the heat on the Gossip Grill, honeys? Shall we turn it up and see what you us food is bringing... As bringing us this week a little food news from Us Weekly, um, <laughs> stars' favorite foods. See what Jennifer Aniston, Kim Kardashian, and more can't live without. You know what I can't live without? Um, all the beautiful people of color in my life. But you know, you see what I did there. See what I did there? No, but on a lighter note, Jennifer Aniston, y'all. Did you know Jennifer Aniston cannot resist a tortilla chip? You know? She is even quoted as saying that even if it had fallen on the floor, nachos were her top choice. Yes, Jennifer Aniston. So you, too, can be just like Jennifer Aniston. (laughs) I love Mexican food. Oh, my God. What do you miss out there? What What are your favorite things that you miss out there? For those of you who are in other phases, unlike New York, who's in phase one, are you going out to your favorite restaurants? I miss Mexican food. I've been cooking a lot of Mexican Latin, well, Latin-esque food foods uh another celebrity who loves uh mexican food you know it miss kim kardashian yes you know what for as much fun as i make (laughs) for as much as i make fun of the kardashians you know uh, kanye west showed up you know and silently donated to the cause the kardashians are using their platform to promote education and having difficult conversations so good for them you know it's all in good fun um So, yeah, guys, they love the car, they love the Kardashians, they love Mexican food. Lindsay Vaughn, um, I guess she's an Olympian. Who's Lindsay Vaughn? Uh, if there's one thing she could eat, it would be ice cream forever. Yeah, Justin Bieber loves pasta. (laughs) Brielle Bierman, now, can someone tell me why Brielle Bierman is famous? Why, why, why? Just because her mother Kim was on The Housewives, I'm like angry about it. And why does Brielle Bierman? She's in her early twenties. Why does she look like she's in her late thirties with all that plastic surgery, right? And and she only eats Chick Fil A. I can't. I cannot. I can not. <laughs> Uh Kylie Jenner eats sushi. She can't live without sushi. You know what? I've been looking for sushi and I can't find it. I just can't find it and I don't do delivery sushi as we all know. All uh, right, I I think I've had enough of um what these celebrities can or cannot live without. Um Tyra Banks and Minka Kelly and more stars who've taken cooking classes. Yes. <laughs> Here's one: Courtney Kardashian's Poosh website shares Black-owned brands to support. Yes, now that's how you do it. Courtney Kardashian uh, nailed it. Nicole Byer responds to a fan's comment about race and kids. She's another one who took got on her platform and spoke to the people about how to educate your children, um, and have the talk about racism. Shout out to you, Nicole Byer. I am a fan. For sure, for sure. Other food news unrelated to celebrities. Do you know? Um, did you all hear that story about that man who uh, took in protesters who were like locked in? Like the police pushed these protesters to uh, into a residential neighborhood and like blocked them in. And this man and his neighbors like took in. Um, all these protesters and fed them, ordered pizza for them. Yeah, this article, uh, one of the articles I found on Delish.com, one of my favorite sites, a Washington, D.C. man offered up his home as a shelter for protesters who would not make it home by curfew. Yes, yes, yes. Right? That's amazing. He's quoted as saying, I hope that my 13-year-old son grows up to be just as amazing as they are. We need more people like this in the world, Jesus. Yes. So the D.C. curfew was set at 7 p.m. As the curfew approached on June 1st, many protesters were sprayed with mace and caught in a crowd of individuals trying to leave the area. One protester said that uh, this man, Duby, right, is his last name, was waving people into his home for shelter. He goes, I just ran towards the steps, ran up the steps, and just started to get inside as quick as possible. In that moment, I didn't know if it was the right decision, but I guess it was. Dubé, or Dubay explained that the first 30 minutes of him sheltering around 70 protesters. Could you imagine just opening your door and being like, come on in, y'all? So, you know, <laughs> 70 protesters was chaos. Right. Individuals used milk and his bathtub to recover from pepper spray. And after that, conversations ensued about what was going on and what they could do better at any upcoming demonstrations to avoid a similar outcome. Then we got hungry, he said. And he explained that a local pizza joint, uh, Duccini's Pizza, delivered food for the protesters in the middle of the night and that neighbors dropped off food as well. Now, that is how you come together as a community for change, and you can't tell me any different. That's awesome. That is that is what I talk about when I'm talking about joy. That, I mean, how could you not feel good just even hearing that? The next morning, once curfew was lifted at 6 a.m., all of the protesters safely left Dubay's home from the back. He goes, he is quoted as saying, I'm absolutely grateful that these heroes... And these souls that were able to find shelter inside our home safe. That was the number one thing throughout the entire night. And then he goes on to say, I hope that my 13-year-old son grows up to be just as amazing as they are. Yes. Yes. Wow. A little kindness goes a long way. I bet you those police were mad, Jesus. (laughs) I bet you they were so mad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Here's another article I found. This is hysterical. Donut shop stops police discounts until community takes action to solve problems of racism and injustice. Talking about the cops being mad. <laughs> They're quoted as saying, hopefully we can nudge those with louder voices in the community to take action. Action. So a popular donut shop in Rhode Island announced that it would no longer offer discounts to members of the military or police until the community takes action to solve problems with racism and injustice. The move came after Terrell Passy, a 23-year-old firefighter in Providence, accused two police officers of uh, racially profiling him uh, Friday on live TV. Interesting. Interesting. I was uh, dressed in full uniform and had my radio in hand. Uh, Posse, or Pocky, uh, told WPRI as he held back tears. I was like, I'm a firefighter. I'm PFD. I'm one of you. And they k- still kept approaching the vehicle with guns drawn. Wow. The next day, Ali's Donuts took to social media to denounce the allegations. This is... Um, this is really crazy, y'all. Right? This is an example of a ter- of terrible job performance. If you were an athlete, athlete, you would be cut from your team. If you were our employee, we would fire you immediately. The company wrote on its Instagram, sorry, but you are a police officer despite being one of the despite being the ones responsible for protecting the law, you may be considered above it and face zero consequences for your mistakes. We are fed up until local police take action. To solve problems with racism and injustice, Ali's Donuts will choose to stand with the people of our great state. We will no longer offer military and police discounts. Thank you for your sa- service and shame on you for your silence. Yeah, <laughs> No donuts for you, honey! <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love that. People, small and large, are using their platforms for good, for right, to promote these conversations that we need to be having. That's incredible, you know. They go on to say, "Hopefully, we will not lose customers over our willingness to speak up. Our voice is tiny." You know what, Ali's Donuts? If you do lose customers, who cares? Those weren't the customers for you, right? That's that's it. Because I bet you a ton of other people come out and support you. Once again, I fell, I fell down another hole of, of why did we, why do we associate donuts and, and cops? Like, where does that stereotype come from? And mental floss, um, you know, gave me, gave me a little insight to this, in case anybody out there was curious. Uh, so this, like, cliche has uh, origins back to the mid-20th century. Uh, during this time... This writer from Atlas Obscura, Kara Giaimo, sorry, butchering names right and left here, writes police departments started covering their beats by car instead of foot. During the graveyard shift, donut shops were convenient late night spots to fill out paperwork, drink coffee, park a cruiser, and make an emergency phone call. A reciprocal relationship was born. The donut shops felt protected with police on their premises and officers enjoyed having a place to refuel. Some small donut shops kept special desks for police officers. Other kitchens developed such strong alliances with local law enforcement that top officers warned cops against against accepting the sweets for fear that they'd appear biased. So, soon, cops became synonymous with donuts. Isn't that interesting? But this goes way, way, way further back than that. In World War I, Salvation Army volunteers... What's wrong with me today? I can't even speak. Uh, Salvation Army volunteers served donuts to soldiers on the front lines in France. In the 1920s, the Red Cross provided free donuts for veterans who were living abroad. Look at that. You know what? Like, all these people helping our service people. Lending a helping hand out there in the streets to, like, feed them so they can do their jobs. And what is the turnaround? Mess. Just mess. Right? Nope. No more. No more. It's going to take a minute, but I, I I, truly believe we are on a gridlock. Uh, A path to greatness. I truly believe. I mean, if we don't believe and we don't all collectively put that energy out there, what are we left with? Y'all, what are we left with? I mean, yeah. I think think this time is different. And I said this in an Instagram post earlier uh, as I was part of one of these uh, protests that I've been to a lot of protests in my almost 40 years. You know, uh, tons of lgbtq rights protests and so on and that the latest one it just felt different it felt different you know it felt like i don't know it, it's it's a little inexplicable but it just felt it felt different the energy is different the vibe is different the 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 power is is different it's, it's It's interesting and weird and I think great all at the same time. Um, I found this article here that says six ways to help feed uh, and support Black Lives Matter protesters. Thanks, Delish.com. Listen, there can never be enough help, y'all. There can never be enough help. So if you're stuck inside because of coronavirus or you're afraid or, you know, protesting isn't your, your thing or... You know, you you wanna you wanna make an impact in a different way. Here are six ways you can help. You can bring food to pro- protesters. Supply drop-offs. There's there are those all over the city. Um, this city I know, and I'm sure they exist in your city. Protesters are in need of supplies like personal protective equipment, first aid kits, food, water, and more. Just search drop-offs in your area or contact local organizers to see if they're holding any uh, drop-offs and see what's needed the most. right? You can find this article on Delish.com as well. Support your local food banks, y'all. Food banks have already been hard, hit hard by coronavirus, and they still badly need the support, so um, you know, especially in the city, seeing damage after, after the riots not, that are not unassociated with the peaceful protests. Let's make that clear. So, Google some food banks. Support your food banks. Buy from local restaurants supporting the cause. I love this. I love this. I love this. And our friends at the AIDAP app, if you're in New York City, download the AIDAP app and go to their their Instagram for the password. They have now a black-owned business section. So support them, support them, support them. And if you can um, support either black-owned businesses or restaurants supporting the cause, if you can, order direct. Order direct because the delivery services it's coming from everywhere. All the restaurants are saying it now, right? I don't own a restaurant, so I don't know firsthand, but all the restaurants are saying it that these delivery services are hurting them, right? Because the fees and what they take and the cash out at the end. So if you can just call direct, do it old school, feel like it's 1994 all over again, y'all. Why not? What else are you doing while you're stuck inside? You know, you can also donate to Justice for David uh, McAtee. Uh, so David McAtee, and I hope I'm saying his name right, say his name. Um, there was a GoFundMe established for the family of David. Um, he was a beloved barbecue owner in Louisville, Kentucky, and he was killed by law enforcement earlier um, in the past couple of weeks. So. Find his GoFundMe, donate there. Or, you know what? Just offer to buy a meal for someone you know. Venmo them some money if you know someone protesting. Be like, hey, boo, I know you're out in the streets. Make sure you're eating and staying hydrated. Here's 15 bucks. Go get get some food, you know, and water on me. You know, power to the people. I support you. Or make sure they have dinner after a long day of protesting and screaming. You know, you build up an appetite. Venmo them some money. Why not? I think that's a great way. Um, I myself have seen people handing out water in the streets, and later in the later in the week, I hope to go buy some cases myself and hand out waters to the protesters as well. I think that's a great way, a great tangible way to get back. You feel like you feel like you're part of the movement, and you feel like you're doing something and helping the people fighting for change, fighting for good change. Not uh, yes for Black Lives, right? Because that's who needs us right now. Right? Our family members, our friends, and beyond. But like they're fighting for good change, good change. So I think that's a great way to help if you want to help out there. I hope you all are doing well. I'm going to keep this short and sweet at what is it? A, a solid 40 minutes. <laughs> Remember to call somebody and make them laugh. Or you know what? Call your funny friend. And have them make you laugh. Send me dirty jokes. I love a dirty joke. You know, and remember just to take take a quiet time of meditation, right? Remember those who are fighting for us. Take some time out, right? Self-care is important if you're protesting out there as well. Self-care is important. You know, this is really heavy stuff and very, very intense. So that joy feeds the soul. Joy feeds the soul, you know? So... It's it's important. It's important to laugh, you know. It's important to laugh and commune and be together and, you know, have that Zoom family meeting and talk about something nonsensical after you have the important discussion. So I appreciate you. I love you all out there. And as always, thank you for listening to In Your Mouth.